How you doing, brother? What's up, Clyde? Not much, man. Just trying to get my life to back together. It's been a, you know, it's been a rough week, but shit happens. Things happen. Life happens. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just trying to get all that back on track. You know, it's it came. Uh, no, it goes, man. Yeah, man, it came really quick, and um, you know, things like that you're not really expecting to happen. And I'm glad I'm back. I'm glad nope. I'm back home. You know that that was the thing. I wanted to be closer to my mother. And so I'm very yep. glad that I was close when, you know, all this went down. 100%, man. I get you. Yeah, man. How So uh, how you been, man? Like, enough about me, man. I, you know, it's been a minute I've been trying to get <laughs> Dude, this is this is great that we finally, you know, I don't think, you know what's funny about doing this, Ken? People don't realize, like, how hard it is to get people on the phone. And, like, I mean, everyone's busy with life, or, you know, most people are, with life, family, yep. and things like that. And it's, uh, you know, it's not... It's not as easy as people think it is to get, you know, even a simple phone call. You know, it's not so simple when we get older. Yeah, no, no, it's all good. All right. I know we talked about it and we were always open and ready whenever it happens. But you're right. I mean, people don't understand how hard it is to do these podcasts. I mean, it's it's a lot of work. Yeah. And, you know, and even to like, you know, a lot of people aren't really, you know, they're not really prone to just want to jump on the phone. You know, a lot of people just don't want to be interviewed, too. And, uh. And I really appreciate mm-hmm. it. I really, really appreciate not only yourself, but everyone that, man, it's it's such a blessing to be able to get you guys to sit down and talk for a minute. And I appreciate this so much, man, more than you even know. Yep, all good. Yeah, I start, I listened to the Chuck Treese one and I started to listen to the Sal one and of course started laughing immediately. <laughs> I was like, this, I was like, this dude just can say one thing and start having you laugh for a good five minutes. Dude, Sal is, a, <laughs> Sal is the absolute best. He's the funniest guy, man. And he was, you know, that was great to get him and Ray back to back. That was awesome, man. So I was, yeah, yeah. So yep. it's been it's been going pretty good. I can't complain, and it's a lot of work. I do it all myself, which is it's you know it's going to pay off one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I agree. You know, that's what I'm saying. That's why we, we're all jumping on the phone because we understand, you know, the work that goes into it and. You know, we have to support, you know, everyone out there trying to put in the work. Yeah, and I, that's what I said, man. I really appreciate that. And, I'm, dude, I appreciate that a lot of people even notice that, too, because, you know, it's weird. I get a lot of requests and stuff, and I'm like, dude, I got a lineup already, and and it's not that, you know, it's not, it's not that, but just say thanks for the guys that I got on, not like, hey, you should get this guy, yep. too. You know, it's like, dude, it's a lot of work getting these guys on and, you know, <laughs> getting these guys on and then editing it. And I got two jobs. And, dude, it's it's yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a lot. But I love what I do. I think that's important. And finding the time to do it is very important. You know, I'm sure you do, too. Oh, yeah. No, I get it. I mean, you got a family. I don't even got a pet. So... <laughs> <laughs> I just want to jump right into it, man. I know, um, you know, I've watched you since way back, dude. I, <laughs> dude, it's so funny. I had a buddy Ryan that was uh really into Chapter Seven, like super into it. <laughs> like, I'm not, <laughs> dude. Sounds, it was so weird. That's like, hilarious. And this was this was in Florida. You know what I mean? So, and I didn't even know McGill yeah. was from Florida at the time. This is way back in the day. So I'm thinking McGill's like California duty at the park, and my boy's like, dude, no, nah, man, Mike McGill, he's from Florida. We got to support him and. And I was just like, what is that? So uh, 
He had a good, <laughs> dude, he had a good little thing out, out in Florida, man. Everyone really supported that company. It's weird, dude. Like, they really, really... Yeah, pe- people, pe- people don't understand how powerful a network is, right? Like... Even that with, hometown, that hometown support is everything. I mean, but we're talking Mike McGill too. Like I had no idea he was from, you know, he's from down in Tampa area. And so he got yep. a lot of love out here, man. And that was awesome to see guys like, you know, where, before you were in chapter seven, let's start there. Who did you skate for before chapter seven? I got a little bit of, um, I got a little bit of your background kind of from OJ, but I'd like to hear it. More oh, yeah. from, you know, I'd like to hear it more from the actual person. Yep, yep. I grew up in San Diego. I was uh, I was living in Ocean Beach. I moved there when I was like six years old. And my family is actually originally from the Midwest. So a lot of my family is from Lincoln, Nebraska. And they all moved out from the Midwest when I was six. One by one, they all came through because they just didn't, they just didn't want to deal with that cold weather anymore. They're like, wait, what? We're not going back there. So they just all like one by one moved out to San Diego. And I remember the first time I came out, and like, you know, they had the ocean, I'm hearing the waves, like, wow, this is culture shock. So, you know, I don't remember a lot about uh, much before that, but cause you know, growing up after six years old, you kind of like remember everything kind of after that. But I remembered enough to know that it was a big deal to be out in San Diego. And that, I mean, had I not moved out to San Diego, I probably would have never picked up a skateboard, you know? Dude, that's so crazy because that's uh, you know, it's funny. It's like, you got a little bit of all the culture when you're out there, you're down on the beach. So you got to see a yep. little, yeah, man, you, you grew up unlike any of us, you know what I'm saying? Like that was awesome. I'm sure as a kid to go from the Midwest yep. to, you know, living on the beach and stuff like that. Like growing up skating at that time, it was what, late eighties, I'm assuming you started skating or mid eighties. Dude, same, same, same from listening to your podcast, same year, 86. Oh, what? Yep. Same what? year. Yep. Dude, I think that was a year for a lot of people because I was in seventh grade, I believe, at the time. What what grade were you in? Yeah, I was. I was. Yep, I was about the same thing. So what happened was, is like actually the first time. So when we first came out to San Diego, actually, we when we first came out here, we actually moved to the hood. It was like Southeast San Diego. You know, my neighbor got stabbed. Uh, my elementary school, the kids were selling drugs to the parents. And so what happened was, my mom's like, "No, nah, we we came out here to get away from some of this. So I'm just going right back." So then. My stepdad, you know, because I'm for everybody out there who's like confused because you were <laughs> posting about me and, and my background. But for everyone confused, um, my real dad was white. My mom's black. And then she remarried my stepdad, who's black. And so I grew up in a black family. But, you know, biologically, that's that's where I'm mixed. So my mom's like, look, I'm not living in the hood. We've already done that. And so uh, he, that's when we, that's when we ended up moving by the beach because she just didn't want me to be in that life, you know. So that, that's kind of how it all happened. What? That's insane. So you did grow up in? Hold on, that's crazy. Oh yeah, yeah. We, 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 hey, hey, we all touched the hood in one way or another. I don't care what color you are. You're probably somebody's learning what it's like to be broke, right? So um, that that's that's real and like skateboarding i think kind of just introduced me and kind of like brought a lot of people together from different backgrounds because even though i grew up at the beach it didn't mean we had money it just means that they wanted to live in a place that just didn't have so much drama you know so that that's how i met people like oj and somehow we successfully met every black skateboarder that was in san diego somehow <laughs> <laughs> it's wcrp
like so, so someone said that to me recently like there was a picture that popped up like some flashback picture that we were sharing with each other and someone's like yeah congratulations you successfully found every black skater that was in san diego <laughs> <laughs> that's insane because everyone thought that like a lot of the guys that moved out there you know everyone really thought that those guys were from there i i didn't really know you know until around the eighth street video who was from san diego you know i was completely yep. unaware because the magazines didn't really have a lot of street skating in it until around the eighth street days and that was the guys that were in there you know they weren't going out of their way to put guys like yourself and you know like you didn't see a lot of different guys in the magazine back then so it, i think what the 8th street video was kind of introduced in uh even the chapter 7 video you know when i saw you well that, or, or or like you were saying like ray barbie you know like i mean when when he hit the screen i mean that was a big deal for all of us like whoa look at this dude and he's killing it you know like look at his style and how smooth he was and um, you know, him and that guy, Robert Torres, you know, another dude who, you know, anybody who just didn't look white, I identified with. That's why. So the first, like you're talking about starting in 86, first magazine I ever picked up was a Thrasher magazine and it had the Gons interview in it. And so he's like, you know, all in the, uh, the Gons gap, skating EMB, doing all these, this stuff with the Embarcadero. And I was like, well, that's skateboarding. Sign me up. You know, like that's what I thought skateboarding was literally off of that magazine because that's the only communication we had to the skateboarding world, right? It was through that magazine. They didn't have videos at that time. The only videos that were out were what the PAL videos. And those, man, I, it was weird to even, I remember seeing Stedham in one of those videos and I was like, who is that? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Steve Stedham. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that, so that's what happened, you know, just <clears throat> being exposed to all that and running into people like OJ and this other kid named Sean Compton and, Terry Washington and all these other like skateboarders that we knew who were black is just it didn't mean that we didn't skate with other kids who were white but we just all ended up meeting each other and kind of like had that common bond of like hey you know like this is something special because we know a lot of people out here of color aren't skateboarding and as you mentioned on other episodes like some people definitely caught heat for that you know what I mean like oh black people don't skate Yep. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not like our parents were excited. My dad had my whole basketball career lined up. Like when I started skateboarding, I was playing basketball a lot and he had my whole career lined up. You know, I was playing all star games and things like that. And he's just like, man, you really need to make that decision of, you know, are you going to pick skateboarding or basketball? And I picked skateboarding and he was like shocked. He's like, man, you can't make money doing that. That's not a career, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> how are you gonna get a scholarship skateboarding you know what I mean? that's so funny as kids that uh you know our parents like even my mom you know she wasn't against it but she was kind of like like letting me make that choice and it's funny thinking back now i'm like i don't know if that was a good idea for you to let me make that choice because i wanted to do, <laughs> yeah. you know i mean i wanted to do other things too and i found skateboarding i was like oh man i want to do this and you never you never knew how far it could take you especially myself but you know, being out in Cali, you you know, you didn't think, I never thought it was easy for, you know, not even for, not even for black folks, just period. I never thought it was, oh man, he lives in Cali, so he got on, you know, like that was, I never, ever thought that. But I will say this, like, it wasn't easy, but it was, we have more access. And I, I know that. And I told that story to a lot of people who are coming up and it's like, it's true. We had access because the magazines were here. Companies were here. You just kind of had to get in front of the right people. Now, 
it was way more competitive. And as you probably know, even visiting Cali, I mean, you go to a skate spot and there's a session of 40 dudes, like people are gunning for you. You know what I mean? Like people will come behind you and do the same trick if they want to, you know, just to like prove a point. Yep. But yeah, it's, it, it, it was really competitive, but, uh, but it kind of made you work harder and appreciate what you got when you got it too, you know? Yep, 100. You know, I've always said that myself. I was like, dude, it's really competitive, but I like the competition. I, I really, I, I think it drove you to be a better skateboarder, personally. It did for me, at least. Yes. When I got to Cali, I was like, dude, I, you know, you're in the ring with all them dudes, and you can either you can either cower up or you can get down. And that's what I really loved about that, you know, that essence of skateboarding back then. It was a friendly competition, you know, but it was really good friendly competition. No, I agree. And like, of course, we're all like paying attention to everybody in the industry. And like when, you know, me and OJ and other heads saw like you pop up on the screen, we're like, yo, check this dude out from Florida. Like, and when the, and when you have clips in Cali, you know that you're making it because you're not just sending in footage like, oh, he just got hooked up. Like, cause he's living in Florida. Like, no, you're in Florida, came out to Cali, got clips in Cali with everyone else at the session like you you know that someone's actually putting in work and actually like getting that stamp of approval because you actually came out and handled your business whether you're at home or not a lot a lot of people that can't handle like traveling right like they just kind of freeze up like oh i'm not in my home turf i can't skate you know they don't like competition i think that's what it, because you know i say this a lot you can be the best guy in your city but when you go somewhere else and you realize you're just the best guy in your city i think that's a lot more convenient for people and you know, I mean, it's yeah. they don't like that competition. You don't, you don't want that competition. If you can be number one where you're at, why go somewhere else? You know what I mean? And that's yep. uh, that was kind of the late '80s thing. You know, you didn't really want to leave because skateboarding got hard really quick. Like it got, yeah, really, it sure did. You know, like around '88, '89, skateboarding got very. When you had to ollie. <laughs> skateboarding got hard. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, yeah, wait, you got to hit your tail. You got to hit your tail now. Yeah, they were like, "Hold on, you got to <laughs> you got to jump up on that thing." Like, no, 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 no. It's WCRP. Dude, no one was skating like you grow up. Like when I'm, I'm not kidding. When I was growing up, I was like, who is that dude? Because I didn't see anyone. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. I didn't see anyone skating. Like, I was like, hold on. Who is this guy? Like, and why isn't he done it? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm looking at you like, hold on. Why isn't he riding with the best dudes and stuff like that? But you seem to have always stuck with, you know, you've always seemed to stuck with your guys and things that you believed in, which I think is very important. That's a very important lesson in skateboarding and life is it's, you don't have to be what everyone wants you to be. You know, you made your companies what they were, and that's what's dope, dude. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's just going back to appreciating, you know, what we had, the ability to even ride on the board, to be able to even live where we lived, and um, I think I just always gravitated toward like rolling with the dudes who were kind of more the underdogs, and even when people came into town who were visiting, like we just always like opened them, you know welcome them with open arms because it's like yeah we're all in this together like we don't care yep. it's just it wasn't really about it really wasn't about them probably because you know like first of all if you're a black skateboarder and you actually make it to get sponsored or even to be a pro 
you kind of have to find your own lane anyway, like whatever it is, like everyone, like Ray had his lane, Sal had his thing, you know, like everyone kind of innovate their own lane because you kind of had to, you kind of had to show out a little bit harder, you know? Because I say this all the time. They were, dude, there was only like, there was only a handful of us in the early nineties. Everyone thinks there was a bunch of us and it's like, uh, they were kind of, they were not whatsoever. You know, there was one, there was guys like, Yourself, me, OJ. You know, there's guys that stuck around for sure, but there was never all like it seemed like they rotated out black skaters a lot. So you, as you're saying, you had to stick out, like you had to be, like it. It was almost like they had a a pinnacle of what you wanted, what they wanted out of you. You know what I'm saying? Yep. You could be a good skateboarder, yep. but at the same time, it was like you got to be, you had to almost do way. You had to work twice as hard to earn your spot. I've I've always thought that myself. Like, damn, why do I got to work twice as hard to get the same spot as him? Because there wasn't many of us. You know, like there really weren't that many of us. And then I think what was cool is all of us were cool with each other. That was very very cool back in the day. Like everybody was respectful and cool with everybody. You know, it ain't like now. Well, and and every everyone kind of had their thing, and I think everyone pushed each other a little bit too. So. For me, like I said, if I'm opening up a magazine and the first thing I see is Mark Gonzalez on the Gons Gap, and I'm thinking that's skateboarding, that's kind of what triggered it for me because everyone around me is trying to do kind of the same thing. You know, everyone's hitting the same kind of a spot, doing the same thing. And I'm like, man, what am I going to do that's different? Because I'm not going to make it if I'm just going to do what everyone else is doing. And so I'd always try to push it a little bit harder, faster, farther, whatever. And people kind of noticed that. And I was like, well, I guess I just, and it wasn't, it just wasn't as hard for me. I think technical skateboarding, like what they want in every, I mean, you know, a lot of people even in San Diego, like going to a spot and people just murdering the benches. I was like, I'm not going to do that. I mean, I could do some <laughs> stuff. I, I I was able to hang with them a little bit, but I'm not going to be a pro skateboarder off of hitting the benches and the mani pads. Like I ain't going to make it to that level. Like I got to do something that's different. That's kind of what motivated me to kind of like stick to that whole thing. And, uh, and sometimes you're always second guessing yourself like, well, maybe, maybe I should be doing something else or doing what everyone else is doing. But then you just get validated from your peers. Like, nah, man, you just got to do you. And like, if you stick to what is truly you and all about you, then you'll, you'll make it, you know? And at that time, man, when you were doing like, dude, mid, did no one was skating like that, except for like Jamie, there was only a handful of people that were really going big back then. And you were mixing mm-hmm. up technical stuff too, but at the same time, no one was going big like that. No one was jumping down the big stuff, except you know Pat Duffy, obviously. But nobody you like that. You were in your own lane. You know what I mean? On some serious shit, like you were literally in your own lane because no, everyone else tried to skate the benches and be in that competitive side of skateboarding, and you were in your own lane, man. Like, is that what kind of drove you? I think that and like, again, just being around other black skateboarders who were also into like black culture, like I think black music had a lot to do with it. Like, it's kind of interesting to me, you know, when Trugoy just passed from De La Soul and those are, that's the kind of music we grew up with, like De La and Tribe and then even Public Enemy was like a big deal, you know, to us. I mean, we had all those things on rotate, like rotate constantly. And so, like, I remember one of the dudes we rolled with is even a Kwame <laughs> with the <a> broken dots. <laughs> Kwame so, like, with the polka we, dots. So, yeah, Kwame with the polka dot. I heard he's actually a sick producer now. But yeah, Kwame with the polka dots and like that whole culture, you know, with the high top fades and just doing things different, different kind of music. 
and like they would always push us to be like yo you know you got to be different like like to see someone roll up to a spot with a high top fade and a polka dot shirt <laughs> that's even that's dr- real you know like, even skating and basketball shoes back then you know people kind of laughed at us back then you know we were like hold on man these things are good you know <laughs> <laughs> so like so that that was it it was almost like how can we outdo each other on being different like everyone was so about being an individual and like i think black music black culture the gear the dressing like not being afraid to wear baggy gear whatever it was just an opportunity i think to be expressive in the only way we knew how and i think everyone had their thing you know it's wcrp And what you were saying earlier about finding all the black skaters, it was, you know, as Ray was saying, when we stepped into skateboarding, we kind of stepped out of our culture almost, you know, because we weren't, yep. we didn't know what was going on. So we were trying to step into a whole new culture and we didn't know anyone. So whenever I saw black skaters growing, I was like, thank God, like there's somebody that's going to understand where I come from. Number one, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like at least they yep. know exactly, you know, if, you know, they know the slang, they talk about the same stuff. And, it was kind of hard for me the first couple of years skating just to find my crew. You know, would you say the same thing? You know, when you first started oh, skating, yeah. you know, like, was it hard to find a group of people? You're like, all right, these are my friends. I can skate with them. Well, like, like so my elementary school, junior high school, and even high school were all, you know, kind of like near the beach. And so, you know, there's a lot of white kids there. And so, yeah, to find a crew that was even accepting, I mean, there were definitely like white skaters who didn't even accept our crew, you know, like the people we were rolling with. So again, going back to like working twice as hard just to be accepted, to even show up to the session and not get vibe. Like you kind of had to earn your way to even earn a spot at the skate session because people were like, it's almost like it, like you said, with the other people you're interviewing, I mean, it doesn't matter what color you are. You have to kind of like earn your spot to be there. But the fact that you look different or do something differently than everyone else. I, I mean, we kind of did it to ourselves a little bit too, right? Cause maybe we had a little bit of a chip on our shoulder. Like we were trying to prove something. True. And, and if anyone knows OJ, he definitely was not afraid to tell everyone how it was quick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so like, so we, we had to kind of back him up quite a few times cause he was always going to say something first. And I knew it before he even said it. I was like, Oh, here we go. You know what I mean? But like, he's still the like, homie he, 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 Oh yeah. He's he like, what, you got something to say? so so like yeah so we we had to like really kind of like go all out to even to even kind of make our way into the scene but yeah that's i think once we broke through that though and people like respected us for who we were and what we were trying to do i mean it eventually came all around but uh yeah it's it it was definitely different and some of the people that I ran into back in those days, like you said, seventh, eighth grade, when I started all the way up into high school, you know, it's not like now we're like, I'm on an airplane and someone's looking at me like, Oh, you know, like, wait, what do you like? I had like a, a laptop up or maybe like my iPad or something. I had some skate park stuff on there. Like, Oh, you do see something with skate parks. Were you an architect? And then you start kind of breaking down, you know, what your background is and people are hyped. 
but that that would have never happened back then you know what i mean like they'd be like what you do that can you you know you skateboard for a living you can do that for a job you make money you know you can pay bills <laughs> it's like, yeah it's, it's like i mean let's be real as of like two months ago <clears throat> you know i'm getting i'm getting profiled in my own neighborhood two blocks from my house like as if i shouldn't even live in this neighborhood you know what i mean so <laughs> <laughs> it's it's it it, it 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 never goes away, you know. Like people are like, this lady pulled up in her in her car, and she was she was Hispanic, you know. She's just like, you know, like, are you lost? Like, uh, do you live around here? And I'm like, what, girl? What, are you tripping? <laughs> I was like, I, I was like, I live right here. And she just kind of gave me a look, and it just kind of rolled away in my head. I'm like, number one, if I was that dude, like. I would have probably ran up on you. What were you thinking? And number two, who the hell are you to like worry about what I'm doing in the neighborhood when you looked almost just like me? You know what I mean? Thank man. Thank you for saying that. You know, I have a lot of Cuban friends, but a lot of Cubans yeah. down south, they look they look down on black people. And it's kind of funny because I'm like, hold on, you guys kind of look like us. Number one, and number two. Yeah, like, I was like, yeah, are are are, are we this? Are we kind of the same same struggle here? Like. You know, um, I, I made it in this neighborhood. You made it in this neighborhood, but you're going to question if I live here or not? Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> They're like, your money's different, though. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just like, well, you know, I mean, let's be real. Black people hate on black people, too, right? Because no one wants to see each other come up. Or, like, how come they're there and I'm not there? Yep, that's you know, very like, true. We, we, we get that, too. I mean, we in the in the current age of what we're doing as as much violence has happened and and people are getting shot and killed like it's not it's it's black on black too like it still is there you know like it, it doesn't make sense to me why people would want to kill each other let alone people who are fighting the same struggle it makes zero sense but somehow we still have that mentality like we just we just have to flex that power like we can't let people get over on us and it just it just doesn't make sense Everyone's very defensive in this world, and it's uh, you know, it's it's kind of tricky to deal with a lot of things, a lot of situations. A lot of people just don't know how to communicate, and that's a way of communicating is you know going out out and shooting someone or beating someone up. You see it every day, man, and it's just a lack of education, yep. a lack of communication, and you know you don't know where it starts at, but <clears throat> you really don't. But you do see a lot of hate in the black community. I definitely will hundred percent say that. I wish a lot of guys in the skate community would knock a lot of that shit off too you know because when i see like a lot of skaters you know i've seen uh i think it was a new kid he was saying something about you know black owned companies and shit like that and i'm like dude come on man like that's that's not even necessary to even go at you know what i'm saying like you know why it's because going back to growing up and finding your crew finding where you fit in sometimes i think the skateboarding culture would almost make you feel like there's only room for a few of you, so you better make you better figure out who's gonna make it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, like, like here's 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 some straws. Go ahead and pick the straws, and whoever gets the short ones out, like we only got room for three of you. Dudes be like, <laughs> dudes be like, mad. Dudes like, I'm next. I'm like, what are you next up for? Like, like I can tell you exactly what's gonna happen here, my man. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So, so sometimes there's that mentality of like, hey, you know, like I. I I want to make sure I'm the one who makes it. Like, there's just not a lot of us out there, so I'm gonna I'm gonna step on you to make sure I get where I need to be because I don't want someone to like on a company say, hey, I mean, I hate to say it, but a lot of a lot of people who were getting picked up back in the day, there was like one black dude on an entire team, right? It wasn't like there was like three. 
at that yep. time, right? There's always just one random person on. Yep. And uh, it wasn't until, you know, like you said, later on, maybe 8th Street and, and past that, where, you know, you had multiple people on. But I think that's where it is. It's like, yo, I'm going to get mine. And if I have to step on you to get there, then so be it, you know? It's WCRP. It was really funny when, um, you know, when I saw Stedham did his own company that he, I thought everyone was, I thought he was going to be selling out and all that. You know, I'm like, man, it's Steve Stedham, da, da, da. And he didn't receive the same type of love and attention as he was always mm -hmm. getting. And that was a huge lesson to me as a kid because I, I didn't understand it, but I was like, man, skateboarding is very, you know, it's very political or something, but I could never understand how he couldn't get the same love and sales and respect that he did on Powell. But you know, in, in the same sense, I think he was trying to put a lot of people on, a lot of brothers, and talking to them. You know, I think they expected a lot. Like, oh yeah, yeah. I, I was, I was one of them. Yep. OJ and me both got on at the same time. In fact, OJ basically got me on because OJ was so hungry to prove his place in skateboarding at every contest demo we went to. He killed this one contest, and I was there. I don't even know if I entered. I probably didn't even care. <laughs> and uh and Stedham was there and he's like yo oj you know like i want to hook you up and he's like yo if you're gonna hook me up you gotta hook my boy up and so that's kind of how it happened we both ended up getting boards from Steve Stedham. that was one of our first our first uh hookups i think you know we probably didn't realize just like we were talking about earlier about how hard it is to do your own company your own podcast whatever people just don't understand all the work that goes into it I don't think we understood how hard it was for him to have his own company because he was just doing it all himself. You know, he was like trying to kind of like organize the team and the graphics and get, you know, stuff out there. So I think he just struggled because he didn't have, you know, the same kind of distribution like maybe Powell had when they were selling his board. And, and from the outside looking in, all of us have that thing like, oh, well, if they can do it, we can do it. But then you realize how hard it is to get it out there. So I think, he just struggled. You know, we were expecting everything. Like, oh, we need to go to a contest. We need this. We need boards. And I think he just got overwhelmed with, like, man, I can't take care of all these dudes. Like, I, I, I know that they're coming up. I know that they got something. And I just, you know, I might not be able to get everyone there. And so I think people just got frustrated that, you know, he couldn't do everything they wanted him to do. And eventually one by one left. But um, but looking back, I was like, man, hats off to that dude for like even trying to give us a shot and trying to help us out because people don't know how hard that is, you know. A lot of people weren't doing that, and I spoke to Steve, and I and asked him this, but I don't think he kind of knew where I was going. I was like, do you think it was hard to do the company? And I've always thought of this because Steve was also still a pro; he still was like out there. And I was like, do you think it was hard to yep. do the company because you were still a skater? And it's kind of a conflict of interest, you know, because you still want to be out there skating and stuff, but you also want to you also want to own a company. And those two things never, you know, that doesn't work out. It's never worked out for almost anyone. It's hard. It's, very it's really hard. hard. Oh, and oh, 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 and put on top of that that he had his own music going on too, right? So he had his own was that Citizen X, and he was doing music, and he was playing shows and. You know, he's trying to do everything you now. Like, it's just a lot. Dude, he had a lot going on, and which is awesome, you know. And, and I just think he was kind of in over his head, which isn't bad. And I think it's cool nope. he's still doing his thing. But the, seeing that as a kid made me learn a lot. 
because after that, you know, you saw you even saw guys like Mike McGill try to do their own thing with Chapter Seven. Yep. And you would think yep. it would take off. You know, it's like, dude, it's Mike McGill. And you did McTwist. Of course, that company is going to take off. And, you know, it's very hard to do that kind of stuff, man. It's not an easy, it's not as easy as people think it is to just start a company. Oh, no. No, and, it, and, it, and it's like company credit cards and like company vans. And we're just like driving up with girls, you know, we're all underage, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember. I remember. I remember. He had a sit down talk with me. He's like, "Now, Kenton, I know you went up on this trip. And you had this girl with you, and you know you're young. She's young. Like her parents might have been looking for her. And like at the time, I'm like, dude, you know what you're talking about. We're good. And then later on, I'm going like, dude, I would have been terrified if <laughs> I was like, you know, if I was a company owner thinking about that. You know what I mean? But like he just, you know, sometimes all those people, you know, at least they tried. You know, even if it didn't work out, I think the fact that they tried and gave it a shot and did something is, is everything. Cause sometimes you have to try three, four five things before the one thing sticks. Absolutely. And, uh, but I, but I just appreciated all the knowledge I got from all these different older mentor type of pro skate. I mean, think about it. Like the 86, you know, 1986 version of ourselves asked to be on a team by people we saw in a bones brigade video, Steve Stedham, Mike McGill, you know, like, and then eventually, like, the Rodney Mullins and and everybody else, like, who would have ever imagined that we'd have been talking to these people and actually got, got put on and chopped it up with them and learned some life lessons from them, too, you know? And, and you know, I, th- I think it's really cool is having a lot of those guys as our first sponsor. Like, I had Jim Gray, and although it didn't go yep. well and think, you know, like, like, even speaking about it, it's one thing, but I still respect him for putting us on the team. That's a whole different thing. You know, although it didn't go well, I don't think, I think he was kind of out of his, uh, you know, he was kind of out of his touch too with doing that. And he learned a lot as well. You know, he had to deal with Omar and Remy and all this. He had to deal with the big guys. And so I think he lost a lot as well. But I think it's cool to just come through with those guys who were actually, you know, they were named guys back in the day. They they kind of knew they kind of knew the business, but they knew the business as being a rider. And they had, yep. to, you know, we were we were kind of their guinea pigs. If you think about it, man, <laughs> it's kind of it's funny. true. Yeah, we really were, man. But luckily, everyone stuck around and it worked out because a lot of guys did not stick around from back then, man. You know, like a lot of guys from your first team, like who who's some guys from from Chapter Seven you can think that don't still skate? You know, I know wasn't Tolan on there. Yeah, Jeff Tolan was on, but I, I'm not sure what happened to him or why things maybe kind of didn't work out for him. I'm not sure what his story was, but um, I don't know. Actually, a lot of people still kind of broke off. I mean, Chad Barty was on Chapter 7 for a minute, and then I know Matt Mumford was getting flow boards, and then he eventually rode with us on Shaft, and then he eventually got on zero later but then like even matt rodriguez was one of the first dudes on he was like one of the first three dudes on chapter seven and then he was at emb and jason lee saw him he's like no you're gonna ride with us (laughs) he was like no you're on stereo you just mentioned shaft though i forgot about that dude yeah yeah so that's what happened so what happened was is oj and myself you know we were on a team with other people that mike had kind of handpicked and the the team is getting bigger and bigger and OJ was like, yo, we need our own thing. We need something that represents more about what we're into. And he came up with shaft because he just wanted something to sound a black, you know, OJ, he's, he's <laughs> he, he, yeah, every, everything he does is a statement. And so I was like, I'm with that. But then what happened was, is we started the company, got some boards out, 
and then uh, OJ and Mike got in some contract, you know, disagreements and about what OJ's expectations were were not the same as Mike's. And uh, OJ OJ walked, and actually, what happened was he reconnected with Steve Stedham, who wanted to turn him pro, and he turned pro. So he just had an opportunity to put some money in his pocket. Not that he wasn't getting paid, but he had an opportunity to get paid more. It's WCRP. So the so for the nineties after uh, chapter seven, you ended up going to. I thought you were going to go to Plan B. I heard some story about that. Do you, t- you? What happened with that? That is insane. It was. Me, OJ, and some other heads were filming a lot with Dave Schlossbach, and he was a filmer, and he filmed the first H Street video, Shackle Me Not, and that's why I was like having a flashback when you posted that clip of Hensley skating uh, that launch ramp. at the That was at the OB Rec uh, Recreation Center right across from elementary school, and so we used to skate there all the time, and out of nowhere, one day, Schloss rolled up with Matt Hensley and Brennan Chaffell. And Matt Hensley was wearing a T-shirt that says, uh, Tony Mag says, go to hell. And we're like, what the hell is that? We knew who Tony Mag was. He was I think he was on Uncle Wiggly. And he would always skate down to Mission Beach. And there was like huge skate jams in Mission Beach. And he was always killing it. But then we saw him wearing this T-shirt. I was like, Tony Mag goes to hell. What the hell is this? And he was talking about 8th Street. And they were filming for this video. And Matt, I mean, you got to remember, like, everything he did in that video was almost the first so for for uh, for us to see that go down in person, and then like almost a year later, by the time it hit the the videos and the movie screens, we'd already seen that for like nine months. So we we were like, we were like, that's why I think to your point, I, I we did we did have the access, we did have an advantage to see some of that stuff happen right in front of us, and so we were already learning those tricks by the time that video dropped. That's why it probably seemed like everyone was kind of so ahead of, ahead of the time because we were seeing that stuff going down right in front of our face. And eventually we just kept in touch with Dave Schlossbach over the years and he just kept doing more videos with, with better companies. And when they wanted to break out of 8th Street and go do their own thing in Plan B, Mike Chernaski wanted Dave to film that video. And so what happened was, is he was just stacking clips with all kinds of people and just putting in front of Mike. He's like, yeah, what about this guy? What about that guy? What about OJ? What about this guy, Canton? And Mike, he was like, yeah, this is sick footage. We need to, we need to get these guys in here. And, uh, but I think putting it on a transfer tape, stacking it next to everybody else and trying to kind of force it in that way, like, yo, look at these guys killing it. Look at these tricks. And these guys are looking at it, looking at me and, you know, you got to remember, this is the high top fade, you know, '90s version. <laughs> <laughs> and like, wow! And like, and like, Rick and Mikey, and those dudes are like, "What? Who the hell are these dudes?" You know, like, we don't know anything about these guys. No one talked to us about it. Like, do you, you know, is this even a good fit? And at the time, I'm like, "No, that's not a good fit. Like, this is awkward. Like, it doesn't seem like." A, and then OJ was in the mix, and he was talked about maybe getting a world. And but it's just I think the way it happened and the way they were trying to force fit it, it just wasn't natural. And it just yeah, it just it just wasn't gonna go down that way. And so, you know, I was on trips with people and you know, like me and Ryan Fabry went out to Vegas and filmed together and then all of a sudden he's seeing clips coming out of Vegas that he didn't even know I was filming. And he just, you know, it just caused a lot of weird, awkward friction. 
And so I told those guys, like, look, I get it. This is weird for everybody. Like, these guys aren't with it. I'm not with it. It doesn't make sense. I appreciate everything you try to do, but it just it clearly wasn't going to go down. But, like, that's how I kind of, like, made connections with, like, Rodney Mullen because he was like, oh, man, you know, that was I'm so sorry things didn't work out the way, you know, everyone kind of wanted it to let me know what I can do to help you. And he was always giving me stuff for, you know, many years and eventually hit me up and he was doing, you know, the uh, tens of trucks and speed demons and all that other stuff. So he was always like trying to hook up, hook up the homies, but <clears throat> it just, you know, like, like we all know, like not everyone was going to be getting on the companies. Like not everyone was meant to be on one one or, or aesthetics, right? Like you just had to be the right fit for the right team. And clearly that just wasn't the right time. I didn't know who say Ryan Fabry was, you know, and I didn't know where he kind of fit in. And, you know, I understand what you're saying, but, you know, as for your skateboarding level in itself, I, I always thought the company was about skateboarding. But as you're saying, it always has to be a weird, you know, like those guys probably were looking more for a new friend than they were an actual great skateboarder, which is unfortunate. That, well, and, that, and that's it, because at that time, you got to remember how many good skaters there were. There was Henry Sanchez, there was Jerron. There was plenty of good people who could have been on that team. <clears throat> but it's just about, like you said, it's about the right fit of people who can get in a van and click and kind of push each other. And and it doesn't mean that there weren't a good skateboarder and not good enough to be on the team from skateboarding. But sometimes you just have to realize that everyone kind of has to find their lane and, uh, more than a big lesson for me to learn to skateboarding and being sponsored and being a pro is more than just about doing tricks. Yes, it's sir. about the way you do your tricks. It's about, you know, the kind of graphics that people put out. I mean, clearly it wasn't going to be on a company that was going to be about, you know, super hardcore, you know, skinhead punk rock or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it just, <laughs> I mean, there are companies out there that just wasn't going to be a good fit. And I think everyone knows that, but it's just kind of the unspoken thing. Like, I was not going to be pro for Santa Cruz at that time back in the day, you know, because that was the other company I was on it for a minute was uh, Sims <clears throat> when they were under NHS. And it was like me, Frank Harada, Andy Roy, Ron Whaley, Israel Forbes. I mean, it was, again, a pretty stacked team. And what happened was is that I think at some point they just really wanted to focus on the brands that did the legacy brands like Santa Cruz and, they're like, oh, you know, Sims thing wasn't work, working out. I think we just kind of like spread ourselves too thin. We're just going to focus on Santa Cruz and, and the camera, what other brands they were talking about at the time that they had. But um, a couple of dudes went to Santa Cruz and everyone else kind of went other places. And they're like, yeah, you know, I just don't think you're going to be a good fit on Santa Cruz. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, me neither. It was because at that time, it just wasn't that vibe. You know what I mean? Like, it was just awkward. Yeah, at least, you know, teens back then, too, they did have somewhat of a a mold i will say that you know like they all kind of gel yeah. together but it's funny if you think back and you look back you're like most of those teams broke up <laughs> you know that they were trying yeah, to keep true. all cool they all broke up you know and they all ended up doing yeah. their own thing so you know that that's the dangerous part about trying to mold a team and things like that because you're never going to stick together everyone's going to always have their, their their differences and their ways and thoughts and you know, Plan B was dope, man. I would have loved to see you on there. Well, well, and and you got and you got to remember, like, how many people did they really even want on the team? It's just, you know, it is. The more people, the more headaches. And we're all young, dude. Like, we're all like, I was like eighteen. Like, everyone on that team was like still a teenager. Like, no one knew what the hell they were doing. You know, like they were just doing what they thought was right at that time. And you know, many years later, we run into each other, and it's all good. And it's like, yo, sorry, sorry. You know, that was kind of weird. Like. 
sorry it happened all awkwardly, you know, but we weren't, we weren't mature enough to have a real conversation about it at that time because we were just all young. Like, how do you talk to people about like whether you should fit on a team or not? It's, it's just a weird thing. And like to avoid the uncomfortable, you know, fuck you, fuck you. I'm going to go beat your ass type of conversation. It just, it just didn't need to go there because all we're trying to do is find our lane. And so it was just best to say, you know what, let's just, it's time for me to move on to find my lane and find my time. And, uh, like I said, you know, Mikey and those dudes were already pro. I wasn't pro. And, uh, you know, you kind of had to find your thing. And, you know, many years later, like learning lessons from other people like Chris Miller, you know, when I got on planet earth for, for, for a good minute there, um, learning lessons from him and kind of listening to him from his perspective about, you know, we saw a lot of you, you were killing it, you know, like kind of almost sort of having me tell him what my plan was to be successful as a pro and not like be, be someone he's going to regret or be like a, a handful for him. Cause you know, like you said, if, if you're a skateboarder, like a Chris Miller or even going back to what Stedham and McGill and those guys went through, like you said, if you're a skateboarder and you're still kind of skating and you're trying to run a company you just don't want a lot of drama or like a lot of headaches from people who are coming up and just expecting you to do all these things for you. So I think he was also trying to pick people who were going to be a good fit that were not going to require a lot of handholding that, you know, could just kind of come in and know what they were doing and what they were about and not just be like, you know, you need to do this for me. I need this much money. And, you know, or I'm going to like burn the van. Oh,